News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Chrissy Greer. I'm here with Katie Honan. Good morning, Katie Honan. Hi, Chrissy. So Harry has today off, and I know our listeners are probably like, where's Harry Siegel? Um, So I just want to let you all know that Harry's dad, Fred Siegel, passed away. And so we at FAQ are keeping Harry and his entire family in our thoughts. And some of you may know Fred Siegel. Um, He was a fixture in New York City politics and journalism. Um, And so Harry will return when Harry's ready to return. But until then, you're stuck with the two Queens girls, and we're trying to hold down the forward as best we can crying um okay so let's shift gears just a touch katie it's been a a week here in new york city so last week jordan neely was choked to death on an uptown f train by another subway rider named daniel penny we finally got his name um and the end of jordan neely's life was caught on cell phone camera videos uh in the week since there have been protests there have been vigils there have been countless takes from elected officials and political squabbling as his killing has become a flashpoint in the constant debates about the city's affordable housing and mental health crises. And that word crisis always just, we'll get into that in a minute. And of course, public safety and these larger questions about public safety for everyone on public transportation. So the Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, could bring the case to a grand jury this week as people are still calling for Penny's arrest. And so in a statement through his lawyer, He said he, quote, never intended to harm, quote, Neely. This is Daniel Penny. So through the lawyer, Neely's family urged Mayor Adams to speak to them about their son, writing, quote, Eric Adams, give us a call, end quote. And so the mayor on Monday said he tried to reach the family but was unable to. And Katie, I saw you asking the mayor some really pointed and detailed questions about that. Uh, And he said he tried to reach out and he just hasn't heard back. Yeah. And we can get into that in a little bit. It was at Roosters on the Bay of all places. Um, also, since we last recorded, Mayor Adams announced late Friday that he planned to send migrants to towns in Orange and Rockland counties. I call it upstate. Our listeners might not. Um, he stated that the city no longer has any room for the thousands of people that have come over the past year. Rockland County's executive promptly issued a state of emergency to block any transfer of migrants and also said they will fine any hotel that is found to be housing these migrants. Um, This comes after the city received just $30 million from FEMA for costs to take care of asylum seekers, which is way, way less than the $350 million the mayor requested from the federal government. Now, um, this migrant crisis, not to use the the word crisis again, Chrissy, has been sort of at the center of the mayor's blame for our budget crisis. Uh, And it is, you know, it is a lot of money to take care of of everyone here, um, and people are continuing to come. They're being bussed from other states. I guess then the mayor wants to then bust them even further. And I know between Jordan Neely's killing, between this, that's been a lot over the last week, and I'm sure we're missing things, but I guess we'll just jump right into it. I wanted to ask you, Chrissy, uh, we'll start with Jordan Neely. What's your take? I don't know how much of the video you saw. No, I I don't know your... Thoughts on the responses. You know, when something like this happens, I always find there's a lot of takes. There's a lot of tweets. There's a lot of mm-hmm. essays. There's a lot of this. And I'm sure there's a few that have stuck out to you. I, I like what Ara Lewis wrote in New York Magazine. But I'll just hand it over to you to kind of talk about your reaction and your thoughts on everything. Yeah, thanks, Katie. You know, I don't watch those videos. I hate when people even post the pictures. I just feel like as a Black person in this country, I can't keep watching Black people being murdered 
like it's a video game. So I don't watch them. I have to protect the cells in my body that, you know, live in like a constant state of like latent anxiety and fear that I could be like murdered by a random white person at any moment in time. So I don't watch the videos. I saw some of the freeze frames, which are just horrifying. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, who the Manhattan DA's office will be able to find from the subways, you know, all the people who are on the train filming it or watching in horror. Um, You know, Katie, it's just, you know, I read a lot about like, why is it that, you know, Black people of a certain class, like, have the same health outcomes. It's like, you know, Black people in the housing projects. It's like, this is why. This is absolutely why. Because watching this stuff and digesting it on damn near a weekly basis is just, not just for my spirit, but, like, literally, physically, is is really difficult. So then moving, you know, zooming out just a little bit. So we have a few crises, right? So the first piece is we have a Black man who just got murdered on the train by a white man. We know that if the opposite were true, if a Black man strangled a white man on the train, he would not get to go to the NYPD, have a little quick chat, and then be released. Everybody knows that. Like, that's that's not Chrissy's imagination. We all know that's the way race and racism work in this country. So there's one. Then you have the added layer of the mayor insists that we need more money for policing, but obviously that mayor, that that money comes on the backs of, like, taking resources away from housing and mental health services. So when we say, it's like, well, he's having a mental health breakdown. It's like, well, what did the city provide him? And I I do agree with you. I thought Errol's piece was really thoughtful about, you know, sort of the double failures. Um, Ellie Mistel had a piece in The Nation as well. Um, But it's, I think we have to figure something out as a city because obviously we know that there are more and more people in the city who are going through mental health crises we know that there are more and more people on the subways who are having some sort of breakdown. But like, this is the piece that I keep hitting home, Katie. And I feel a little bit like I'm screaming in the void and I'm a touch like chicken little. We are still in COVID. I know people are like, I hate masks and like, it's over and who cares if you get it. But like, the past few years have been very difficult for people who are financially stable with like stable housing, stable jobs, stable families. It's been difficult. I don't know if we'll ever fully know the toll that COVID has taken on people who are less stable in all these other facets of their lives. And I think we're seeing so the manifestation of, you know, lockdown, isolation, lack of physical touch, like all these, you know, the, the stresses and tensions of like not having money or not having consistency or a stable place to go. It's manifesting itself in a, a lot of different ways. And then the last little piece on Daniel um, Penny, Penny, Perry. Um, Penny, yeah. Penny, you know, a former Marine. Like, we don't ever talk about, like, what we do to our military personnel. Like, I don't know his mental health state, but, like, we're also sort of assuming that he's, what, relatively sane? Obviously not. If you see someone and you decide to choke them for 15 minutes. Katie, what train goes for 15 minutes nonstop. Like, seriously, like the doors didn't open. No one decided to go get a conductor. No one said, like, there has to be some sort of police officer in this. Like, why? I don't understand how this passenger took it upon himself, even when allegedly another another passenger was saying, hey, listen, like, you got it. Like, settle down. Um, And I feel like we just see enough videos and stories of, like, 
white vigilantism or like white heroism just sort of taking it upon themselves to like control a situation. And that's the scary piece for me, um, knowing the history of this country and sort of how we've always had a history of white people policing black bodies um, in various cases with zero authority to do so. Um, so that's where we are. And I, I think this could be an Eric Adams Crown Heights moment if he's not careful. Like seeing how the police treated journalists and protesters um, was horrific. Uh, hearing the mayor say that there is possibly a Molotov cocktail. I'm like, where'd that story come from? I, okay, like we need a little more evidence on that. Um, but I do think that a lot of folks are just like, whatever this is, isn't sustainable. And we can't have mental health issues going unchecked. We can't have people with zero housing stability. And we can't have random people on the train deciding that they're the judge and jury um, for poor people who are having a mental health breakdown. And then lastly, sorry, the vilification, like the villainization of especially Black people after they've been murdered by the state or a random white person, sort of, you know, it doesn't matter how many times he was arrested. Daniel Penny didn't know that when he choked him to death. So like this whole, you know, with Mike Brown, he was no angel. You know, all of a sudden, you know, George Floyd was, you know, he'd been arrested before for selling cigarettes. It's like, so is that punishable by death that you have a record? I mean, we also know that the reason why some people have records is because like of racism. <laughs> like yeah. I've gone to private school my entire life. And I'm constantly telling people, it's like, if you want to find drugs, go to these schools and you will find them. But you don't want to find them from white kids. You want to find them from poor black kids. So even how we do policing is codified in race and racism. So these arrest numbers mean nothing to me because most of my friends have never been arrested knowing good and well if they were black or poor or both their lives would have been totally different. They're well aware of that. They understand their privilege. Um, so I don't know. I'm just in a state of like, this country is just, she has so much potential, but I swear it's like an ebb and flow constantly. And it's just a perpetual state of like living in knots, just trying to be. And I know that this little Ivy League PhD doesn't protect me at all um, when we boil it down. Yeah. And I mean, all this depressing stuff, we don't even talk about what happened in Texas this weekend only because let's just I mean, keep it in New York yeah, City because exactly. it's too much. Um, I'm like, but which Texas, right? Is it the man plowing into migrants yeah. and killing eight and injuring others? Is it the mall where, you know, we've now got Latino white supremacists? I mean, we we can't even script this stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, your point to what, what this could mean for Eric Adams and um, not to look at things solely through a political lens, but. Um, yeah, you know, the malt, it it was interesting. Just there was protests this weekend. Obviously, there there was a vigil last week at the Broadway Lafayette station where Jordan Neely was killed. Um, there have been continued protests. People took to the subway tracks, which had happened in the 80s. Um, you know, this was sort of people's what people do when they're upset about stuff. We saw last night um, my colleagues Gwen Hogan and Ben Frachtenberg were at the protest last night in Manhattan, you know, where you have people being shoved to the ground, bleeding from their face. Uh, photographer Stephanie Keith, who's a, I say credentialed photographer, right? Because then it, it, it removes any doubt from the police that who is this person, right? Because mm -hmm. the thing about a press pass and this is, it doesn't, you don't need 
a pass to commit the act of journalism, right? But what it does is it gives you a pass. It almost verifies, it validates you to people in power. The city council in 2021 moved that press credential process over from the NYPD to the mayor's office of media and entertainment. I said it the whole time, why, right? It doesn't matter. It's not MOM staffers who are going to be at a protest. It's the NYPD. So you could put it in any agency you want, you could put it in uh, Department of Youth, Community, and Development. It won't matter because when you're at a protest or any event and a cop sees you and decides they don't like what you're doing, they're going to arrest you, Like, which is what we saw in the case of Stephanie Keith. And I'll point out, there was a lieutenant in DCPI, which for those listeners who don't know, it's the press office within Deputy Commissioner of Public Information, the, the press office within the NYPD. So you have a lieutenant who's there. He's on video watching it. You don't know who Stephanie Keith is. You know who she is. And you're authorizing the arrest of this for journalist. So that is what's concerning um from that level, right? It doesn't it doesn't supersede the fact that you have brutality against protesters and ultimately someone who was killed last week. But that is one question that I had, you know, and last night, the other thing too politically, Mayor Adams on a Monday, and this is the busiest mayor alive. He'll be uh in the Bronx, he's, on he's Staten everywhere. Island, Terrace he's at the Park, everywhere. At this name a country's flag raising, he's there, right? But on Monday, after you have this big news on Friday, this big news about the city getting so little of the migrant money it asked for, the fact that he just said without notifying our neighbors up north that he's going to ship migrants there. Um, you have these continued weekend protests over the death of Jordan Neely. And he has nothing on his public schedule up until 8.30 p.m., an anniversary um, for a pastor at Roosters on the Bay, which is... I don't know if it's deliberate. He could, of course, he could be busy doing stuff behind the scenes, of course. But I found that to be very suspect. So I went, you know, I went to, I've been to Russo's on the Bay many, many times before. And I just waited to hit for him to ask him. And, you know, when he, he said he had tried to reach Neely's family, they said, he said they weren't unable to, um, which, you know, the lawyers probably are easily reached. This is not uncommon where someone says he hasn't spoken to us and they say we reached out, whatever. The Molotov cocktail line, which the police later late Monday did say that they found a bottle of Topo Chico with some liquid inside and a rag stuffed inside. Um, but I still don't understand how that's what any justification for any other further police um, brutality. It also seemed like they re retrieved this Molotov cocktail after the arrests were made. So when I asked the mayor specifically, like, do you want to comment on particularly the arrests of journalists? Maybe I'm asking specifically because I am a journalist, but then what's the point of this giant fucking press pass if it's not going to be respected and honored. You know, and the mayor mm -hmm. brought up that Molotov cocktail line. He said it was, quote, outside agitators. I do not believe these people are outside agitators coming on a Monday. Um, it's people within New York City, you know, and I think it gets into that larger debate of, like, if you don't like something in New York City, it's so easy to say, oh, they're not from here. They're outside agitators. Right. Blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. They're, they're New Yorkers, right, who are very, very upset at something, and that is that is, you know, there. One thing that was interesting in what Jeff Jeffrey Madry, the chief of department, said last night in this post-protest press conference that they streamed, you know, he he called it the senseless death of Jordan Neely, um, which I was surprised to almost hear a little bit of editorializing on their part because um, the NYPD released the person who put him in the chokehold. Um, I mean, walk me through that, Katie Honan. I, I mean, seriously. Letter, so. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, Black people in this country, we just like look around like, are y'all serious? Like, you know, we can see you, right? Like this dude is on camera choking out 
another human being and he has a quick chat with the NYPD and just rolls out. Like, really though? Really? We've seen it. So it's like, yeah, well, until we sort of figure it out, you know what? You just go on about your business. It's like in no world, yeah, in no scenario in the United States of these Americas could a black person ever choke a white person on camera or off, by the way, and then have a quick chat with the NYPD for what, two hours, not even? And then just, you know what, go home, rest up. We'll sort of figure some things out. And if we need you, we'll sort of circle back. Like, get out of here. Yeah. And so this is where it gets complicated for political scientists because even with Black leadership, right, even with a Black mayor, this is the type of nonsense that still goes on. So if this were under de Blasio, it's like, oh, you know, if only. It's like, no, 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 we have a Black mayor. And this is, we have a Black Black police commissioner. Like, Black chief of department, yeah. Black deputy mayor for... What is the safety, point? Whatever Phil Banks does, yeah. What is the point then? Because there's descriptive and substantive representation. And it's like, well, then give me someone who actually understands the long history of like anti-Black racism and white supremacy in this country. That's who I need in charge. So they can look at the situation and say like, okay, well, you know what? Until we figure it out, you're just going to cool your jets right here next to me in this little cell. Until we get to the bottom of things. But like the fact that you just get to go and live your life time and time again, I'm just like, uh, but wait, I can't leave a city. I'm not about to go live with these white supremacists outside of a city. Like now I, I'm stuck in cities that are completely underfunded, under-resourced. We have, we we know all the data shows us when you have black leadership, the state and federal government tends to, you know defund and not invest in ways that they have in the past. So it's like, I'm stuck in an under-resourced environment. I get it. I'm a homeowner and, you know, I'm not living the way a lot of New Yorkers are living. Check, check. But I'm still interacting in an urban environment in a city that I love. But it's like, because it's apparent more and more that I can't leave cities. I can't be in like suburbs and rural areas where I'm seeing, you know, these black flags and all types of, you know, red hat nonsense. So I think as we move towards the next few weeks and like what this looks like, you know, what does it look like when Eric Adams finally talks to the Neely family? What does he tell them? What does he say? It's like, well, sorry, we let the guy go, but now we'll sort of circle back. I'm curious as to like, what does it look like for Alvin Bragg and the Manhattan DA's office as they gather information. And like, listen, that office is like, they're on some tortoise, slow and steady. They're not political. I think the best part about what makes me feel better is that because Alvin Bragg isn't a headline chaser, we actually have a good chance of like a methodical approach and analysis of like what happened. Like, yes, I'm very, I hate the word emotional because it's like, I'm allowed to be emotional, but it's like, I'm definitely upset. I'm scared. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm all the things. Um, I'm also not a lawyer and I'm not the DA. So they can take their time and evaluate the information and then present it back to the residents of New York City. But as like a taxpayer, I'm just like, good God. Like, what? What? Like, where do we go from here? Because sadly, I don't think that this is the first scenario because if someone isn't really punished, then all that does is embolden other people to do the same thing. I mean, all you have to do is say, I was scared. 
and other people were scared. So, you know, I got to choke somebody out. And most most people like Daniel Penny know that there'll be very little of any consequences. Yeah. And and I think the other debate that came out of this, and it's the takes that really, they did just, I know we're here taking our, on our own, so maybe I'm a hypocrite, but, you know, it got into this question of, um, well, the subways are full of, it's a zombie land and everyone's crazy and you have to defend yourself. You know, I've been on, I ride the subway every day. I mean, right. maybe not on the weekends because I'm chilling at home, but this is what I, I've had situations where you have yeah. people, yeah. I had Absolutely. a guy on the W train just come up to me, start yelling at me, calling me racist, white, this, whatever. I, I just moved to the other car, right? It was disruptive. It really, it, it bummed me out because mm-hmm. then he pulled the brick, whatever. But this is like, and I'm not saying this is, people act like you have two options. Choke a mentally ill person on the train or live in fear. And I just refuse to, be, you know, I'm like, what is that? People, there are people on the train who are experiencing mental health crises. And right. it's, um, what am I going to do? Choke someone out? No, I'm not going to do that, right. you know? And I think I think back to a lot of what our friend Alex Brooklyn, you know, has said about when people are having a mental health crisis. This is what's real in their reality. And I just find it hard to believe that anyone was so truly threatened on that train that they found that that was the appropriate response. This is- at least that's how I would, you know? I've had people approach me. I've had people yell at me, you know? Mm-hmm. I never once said, I'm going to put them in a chokehold. Um, I do things to protect myself so I'm safe. And I remember that this is a human being who's on a completely different plane of reality than I am. And they're not existing in the world that mm-hmm. I'm seeing. So I have to do things to protect myself without incurring any right. violence or agitating anything. And and it's it's a question of public safety and and also I I don't know. There's just there's no way to approach that. And everyone people from all over the country chime in about New York City and so don't come here, please. Like you don't you're not on the trains, you're not on this. And there's a lot of improvement that needs to be made, but I still don't it's just not to me an appropriate response to something like this. Right. Well I was in DC what well, a few weekends ago. Um and someone who's from Queens, from New York Lifetime New Yorker. He was like, so Chrissy, is it like this hellscape that everyone says it is? And, you know, he grew up in the 80s and 90s. And I was like, absolutely not. Like, it's not. And when you get on the train and someone's having an episode, move. Go to another car. It's slightly inconvenient. But like, no, you don't need to choke someone. So I think there's also this narrative. It's like, is the city perfect? No. If you have 9 million people, are you going to live like it's Mayberry? Absolutely not. So I think it also sort of taps into like, I feel like there are a lot of folks who are moving to this city and it's just like, this city isn't what I want. It's like, then don't come. I mean, I don't want to sound like Eric Adams, but it's like, then stay wherever you are. If you want this like sort of perfect microcosm, it's like, that's not what cities are. They are a little rough and tumble. And sometimes we rub shoulders and bump shoulders in less than ideal scenarios. That's what it means to live in a city. So if you want to have this like perfect, you know, Panera lifestyle, then like stay your ass as far as I'm concerned. But I do think that we have this larger conversation that we do need to have collectively as a city, which is like, what what are real dangers? Where can we put resources? Like that is a question because we know that we have more and more people, especially in the shadow of COVID, needing sustained assistance. And obviously, more and more police officers is not the answer to that at all. Like, I don't know how many, I don't know how much data we need to look at 
to to show us that more police does not equal a safer city. It just doesn't. So shifting gears though, Katie, ever so slightly, I mean, we'll obviously continue to talk about the story as the DA's office gets more involved as Eric Adams does or does not talk to the Neely family as Daniel Penny does or does not see his day in court. Um, the migrants that Eric Adams is saying head north um, and we've got obviously people in northern communities saying, slow your roll. We are not interested in absorbing new immigrants into our schools and neighborhoods. Where do we go from there? I mean, this seems like this is one of those situations where I'm like, oh, this is why I actually do have so much respect for elected officials, because I don't see an easy path to resolve this. You know, as I've said before, I am a proud trustee of the Tenement Museum. We have always been a nation of immigrants, voluntary and involuntary. Um, We've always had these tensions about what do we do with these new people who are perceived as uneducated and less than and all the, the negative adjectives you can muster. We've always had that. Whether German Jews, Irish, Italian, you know, now we have sort of South American conversations and the browning of America, et cetera, et cetera. So we've always had these conversations, but how do we figure out how to incorporate an influx of people into communities when this country has never been excited or willing to to welcome immigrants into their communities? I mean, we see it with Caribbeans in Harlem. We've seen it, obviously, not just the Lower East Side where the Tenement Museum really focuses on, but, you know, we've seen the signs, you know, no Jews, no Irish, no N-word, no dogs. I mean, you know, Italians are still a protected class at CUNY, I believe. Like, Puerto Ricans are sort of seen as this, like, villainous, non-American status. I mean, we the list goes on and on. So what what do we do now, Katie? Where do we go? I mean, it seems as though the mayor is not making any friends with leadership north of the city, but his argument to Joe Biden has been and continues to be, you are not providing me with the the adequate resources, so I'm going to have to figure out things on my own. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly his response. And even from the the start of this, he's urged for more financial help from the federal government. Um, you know, I think announcing on a Friday that you're going to do something without apparently checking in with the people, he's sort of, he's doing what he was so critical of governors of other states and mayors and other cities across the country mm-hmm. to him, mm-hmm. where he's saying, yep, we're shipping them up. Um, you know, when I looked at Ar- Arndtberg, I guess I have some facilities there that, um, people, people to stay in, but, um, you know, again, it's like, you've said this on a previous podcast, but it's a crisis, but it, it when you use the word crisis, it ignores the actual human beings involved in this mm. and their long journey um, here and what that means. And you also see reports of, you know, our right to shelter law. We have strict rules about where people can stay. And you had kids staying in congregate shelters, which is uh, against the rules. The mayor for months has been saying we need to adjust that right to shelter law because it did not anticipate this huge influx of people literally coming in on buses. Um and yeah, even if the cost to ship migrants up to Rockland and, and Orange counties um, is about the same as housing them, the mayor just said there's no room. You know, there was reports on Friday, um, CNN reported that the mayor was looking at um, tents in Central Park. This was from a memo, right? So 
how true this is. And this seemed like one of those throw everything against the wall things, but it was uh, unused airplane hangars, tents at Central Park, um, housing and facilities at York and Medgar Ever Colleges in CUNY. I don't know why those, <laughs> they seemed like, oh, so you just chose CUNY's that, at least in the case of York, is a little bit further away from the center. Um, I'd have to look at the demographics, but it also seemed like perhaps the more predominantly black CUNYs, those are the ones you chose. Um, again, um, this question of maybe using dorms at other colleges just to house people uh, as the mayor is looking at hotels and they've kind of exhausted a lot of those other options. But it's a nationwide crisis that large cities are bearing the the larger responsibility for. I mean, not to mention border towns as well, obviously, but it's it's just a lot. And it's, I mean, I guess the mayor doesn't care if he makes friends in Rockland and Orange County, but it's more of a concern yeah. of I need to do something for the city. I mean, I will say last week, his executive budget and a lot of the cuts he's proposed, he said is explicitly because of the migrant crisis. And then you have the, the state government saying, okay, we're going to give you a billion dollars. And people said, well, okay, well, you're getting a billion dollars from the state. Um, I guess there was criticism of, well, we don't have the problem anymore, but I know that billion was already kind of baked into the executive budget. Look, I mean, the facts are the city is not as financially strong as it has been, and it needs money, and it's it's reaching some sort of a crisis point, maybe not in this or even next fiscal year, but the fiscal year after that. Um, and the mayor is seeing a problem that this is one way he's he's looking at a solution for it. But like you said, it becomes complicated. Um, and you you yeah, you view everything through the political lens, the practicality of it. If the city doesn't have money or space, it has to do something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just I don't I don't see an easy solution. I mean, obviously there is no easy solution to it. Um, because it's also we know more and more people will come. I mean, this is this is based on climate change, based on political upheaval that in many times the United States has caused in these various countries. And so people need to flee and they come to the, the shores of America, which people have done time and time again. That's the, also the thing. Like, we haven't had honest conversations about immigration, you know, Ron DeSantis and your immigrant grandparents. So everyone acts like, the new wave of immigrants is like the first time we've ever had immigrants in this country. And we just don't know what to do. And as my grandmother always used to say, we could put a man on the moon, we can figure this out. Like we've figured out a lot of other things that are way more complicated than this. I just don't, I mean, I'm not elected official, so I don't want to just pass the ball, but um, I just feel like we keep having the same conversation about what do we do with immigrants. And it's like, well, I mean, I can start with one solution stop funding police officers to nowhere and overtime. And maybe that will give us a little bit of loot to get started. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot and it's complicated and, you know, seeing the local reaction and their response to this with, with, with Jordan Neely going back to that in terms of like how people are responding to all these. Again, I, I see these crises in New York City as this is just these are we're in a big city. We got big city problems, you know, eight million mm -hmm. people. This is what's going to happen. Um, a lot of these complaints from people. It's like, all right, you're just not ready for the big city. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, But. Yeah, that is it's a lot. And, you know, it, it's funny when you said you don't watch the videos. I unfortunately I watch all the videos, I think partly because I have to write some videos yeah. and then other videos. I just 
morbid curiosity sounds, um, it's maybe not the right word, but I almost feel compelled that I have to watch these things and. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, that's the difference. You're a journalist, right? I am not. I just hang out with you brilliant people. I, you know, Katie, unfortunately, you know, every now and on, again on Twitter, uh, I need to learn how to turn the capacity off where it's like videos don't automatically play when I scroll down. And so in the past, I've seen a video or two. Um, you know, I saw Eric Garner's video and I, I always see the accent, but it's like, I'll have nightmares for like weeks, weeks on end of the video. Um, in all different capacities. So it's it's like, on the one hand, I feel like I need to bear witness. And on the other hand, it's like, I'm putting myself in an early grave if I keep watching these videos over and over again. Yeah, no, it gets, it, it, it's, it's, it weighs on you. And, you know, I have to be mindful. I don't know, this has been brought up um, when other of the videos come up. Like as a reporter, I have to watch some videos but then the other videos, I didn't have to watch the videos in Texas, but I did, you know, and mm-hmm. and I sort of regretted that because you you see, we're so used to seeing things in such a rapid, I guess over the last, what, 15 years with smartphones and videos. I mean, especially when I, before I deleted TikTok, mm-hmm. when I think of how many separate videos I was seeing in an hour, right, before bed, scrolling on TikTok, mm-hmm. and your eyes just adjust, and you watch, watch, mm-hmm. watch a million things, and you kind of, you you do become desensitized. And I think... That's what you have to do as a reporter to some degree. You have yeah. to. Yeah. When I was especially covering peak COVID, I had to just turn off any emotion to it so I could get through the day and write and cover and boom, boom, boom. And then that was that. And then did I process it two months later or whatever, whenever happens. So that's what happens. And I think we're in a constant stream of gore, of death, of just um, people filming as people are dying. It, it is, it really, it really gets on you and it weighs on you. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I, you know, I told you, I went to the doctor last year for my annual. She's like, oh, your blood pressure's high. And I was like, oh, it must have been, you know, something I ate, whatever. Then I went for, you know, like a dermatology appointment or some other appointment. I was like, hey, do you mind just like checking my blood pressure? And like, your blood pressure is really high. And like, I keep going to like my various little, you know, checkup appointments because I'm very, I was like, listen, I have insurance for a reason. So like, let's make sure I, I sort of view my my body is like a Formula One racing car, right? It's like, let's just, you know, get the tires checked. Like, let's, you know, check on the paint job, the whole thing. But every place I go, every doctor I go to, I'm like, hey, do you mind just checking my blood pressure? And they're like, it's through the roof. And I'm like, well, I don't feel like my blood pressure's through the roof. But like, I'm now in this category of Black people that has like, you know, the silent killer of like, is it, I was like, well, maybe it's just something I ate or like, maybe it's like the end of the day. It's like, no, Chrissy, maybe it's, you read the news 18 times a day so you can stay abreast of everything. And all you are processing is like all the different ways that this country wants to and is successful in like killing people who look like you. Like that kind of weighs on me just a little bit. So on the one hand, I definitely feel like I should watch these videos. But on the other hand, I'm like, I'm literally like, taking years off of my life in the in the profession that I have right now you know the past 7 years as a political scientist have been hard boots so here we are um hey let's end on something positive this shit is just what do we got you got you have something positive um let me see let me see let me see um okay there's a bird <laughs> there's a bird in so the way my buildings are set up, there's some other buildings, and we we sort of form like this weird courtyard with some other buildings. Yeah, this bird has decided to set up shop 
at 5.30 in the morning. You're not up and already? It, oh, uh, now I am. Up with the men? <laughs> Partying with the boys, but I'm up with the men. Um, but at first I was like, oh, he's trying to get a date. Not going to knock your hustle. But then I talked to my neighbor who was like, oh, no, no, no. He just likes the sound of his own voice reverberating through the 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 shaft, like mm. the the courtyard. A narcissist bird. And it's beautiful. I've recorded it. Um, I'll send it to Adam so we can post it. This man, this man, he has the most beautiful song, but now we're realizing it's actually not really a song. It's just basically, look at me. I am awesome and a beautiful voice. I mean, it's That's from 5.30 to 7. Just wow. can't stop, won't stop. Oh, All and right. uh, I'm giving the invocation at Fordham's graduation. Hey. That's good news. It's two minutes. They were like, Chrissy, two minutes. But I have to figure out what I want to say. All the campuses? They didn't have one? It's it's the big wig graduation. The one, you know, before we all split. I don't know for our listeners, the Fordham graduation. Everybody goes to Rose Hill. Everyone's together for like, you know, the big graduation. And then we all go to different parts of campus for our various graduations. Which is somewhat frustrating for my Lincoln Center students because many of them have zero connection to the Rose Hill campus. So they're graduating on a campus. It's it's beautiful, but it feels like they're going to a totally different school to have their graduation. Um, But because of that, I'm part of like the graduation cabinet, if you will. And guess who our graduation guest is? He doesn't want to be called a commencement speaker. Who? Stevie Wonder. What? <laughs> wow. Is he going to perform? Um, I'm assuming, listen. I'm I've sorry, seen, if he's up there and there's no piano yeah, I, filled I, out. I feel like. Bring, out can, a, bring a keyboard just in case. Well, no, I mean, I've been to lots of different galas where Stevie's been honored. And like, he'll whip up that harmonica and like do some damage. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. The first time I saw Stevie Wonder was at Luther Vandross's funeral. Wow. At Riverside Church. And like, I cried like a baby, like Luther Vandross and I were, you know, siblings. So, um, CB Wonder's pretty amazing. Um, so that's my good news. I've got a chatty bird who's narcissistic and has a beautiful <laughs> voice. And I've got to figure out what I want to say in this invocation. It could be a prayer, it could be a poem. So, our listeners, if you all have any ideas, because you has got to hustle because it's, it's May 20th. Um, but I'll be in my like, Blue polyester Columbia robe with my little crowns, and I wear my little You wear tam. your hat, right? I wear my tam. Um, it's called my a velvet, tam? Well, I call it a tam. I don't know what it's called. It's, it's like the velvet hat with like the little gold tassel. I call it that college debt hat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the robe itself is like a G. Yeah. It's and the smartest thing I've ever done was like, I just bought it the first time as opposed to many people rent for years. And it's like, ugh, finally they buy it. So it's like, no, no, no I bought it. And when I tell you the number of people who have worn this robe, like anyone who's graduated from Columbia with any sort of PhD, if you ever want to borrow this robe, I'm like, I let anyone borrow the robe. I'm like, we are getting this money, okay? We are going to wear this robe until it falls apart. Um, it does need a cleaning now that I think about it. Um, anyway. So anywho, that's the that's the good news. Give me some good news, Katie Odin. Yes. I, do I have any good news? Um... Your hair looks fabulous. <laughs> you can't see listeners. My nephew received his first Holy Communion this past weekend and he got to bring up the gifts, which for the Catholics in the house is a real VIP move. Okay. And we had to I was about to say Mazel Tov, but no, wrong, no, no, no. You know, he got wrong, to bring up the gifts. Way. Okay. No, wait. Serious. For a communion, but all the kids who are getting their first communion, they they bring up different things to the altar. Yeah. Well, only some. Ooh. Kids. 
You know, Ooh. in the middle of VIP Ooh. action. And then he wore a head-to-toe white. He had little white loafers. He was so miserable mm. in the suit. All he wanted to do was, like, change out of his clothes and, like, listen to music. But he did it. And it was very nice. It was nice. So that was very nice. And did you cry? Like, no. I mean, I don't want to admit this. And I hope we don't have any listeners who were at uh, Our Lady Queen of Martyrs. I was about to, like, fight some of these people. They kept jumping in the aisle. I was the oh. photographer. You know, I took my... I'm his godmother too. I took it very seriously. Yeah. This someone's like, oh, that's a fancy camera. I'm like, it can't see through people. Move out the way. <laughs> oh goodness. It was right now. That was the house of the Lord. <laughs> I was like, bones. Can, can you get out of the aisle? My sister's across the aisle going, calm down. I'm like, no. See, but this is the thing. This is why we roll because both of us are ride or die for our sisters and both of us are super ride or die for our nieces and nephews. So yeah. like, don't even. Don't even come in front of Katie and her nephew. Like, yeah, you're gonna play a fun game of mess around and find out. <laughs> There's a crab. Yeah. That's wonderful news. That's fantastic. That was great news. news. So it was great. So that's my good news. Reader of uh, readers, God, listeners, <laughs> send us your good news if you have any. Please, please, I need it. And um. As always, thank you all for listening and making it this far. Ben Max said he loves when we say making it this far. He's like, yeah, I feel like I've been on a journey. Like, (laughs) thank you. I made it. Um, And as always, we're keeping Harry Siegel and his entire family in our thoughts. If you want to reach out to him on Twitter, uh, I'm sure he would love to hear from some of his friends and colleagues who support FAQ NYC. FAQ. This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We're an affiliate of NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com. Our hosts for this episode were me, Chrissy Greer, and Katie Honan. Harry Siegel's our executive producer, and Adam Kamara is our engineer. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us and making it this far. I see you, Ben Max. Be kind, be well, be cool, be warm, and we'll be back next week with more.